Turn in your Bibles or scroll in your Bible app, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Uh, Matthew, chapter 16. Uh, This is actually something that we would have covered in our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke already. But we're going to take another look at it in Matthew, chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And if you are physically able, would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. And follow along silently as I read aloud, beginning in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. This is what the word of God says. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so in the text we just read, Jesus has entered the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples a question. Pick it up in Matthew 16 and verse 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus obviously knows the answer to that question. He's known the answer to every question he's ever asked. But he wants to hear his disciples acknowledge what others in the general public were saying about him. And so they respond. Verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. People thought Jesus was surely a great man. He stood out among the crowd. There's no question about that. They thought he was a great man. But none of those answers say he is the God-man. They were happy to refer to him as one of the greatest men, but not the man, not the son of man, not the Messiah himself. And so the disciples answer Jesus' question and then plot twist, verse 15, he says, but who do you say that I am? And so back in verse 13, when he's asking that question, he says to the disciples, right? Who do people say that the son of man is? Verse 14, and they said, they answered him. Verse 15, he said to them, plural, Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, they don't respond. Only one person does. And it's Simon Peter. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What Peter has said in response to Jesus' question was not just the right answer in a quiz game. What Peter had said was going to be the very foundation, the very rock, the cornerstone of the people of God. Every true Christian believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
There's a bunch of differences between Christians all over the world. Some baptize babies, others sing only a cappella, and some are very expressive when they come together to worship. Others look more like the frozen chosen. Some worship underground and in hiding. Others walk miles and miles to the nearest church and spend hours there together. Some wear suits and ties and dresses, and others wear shorts and sandals and jeans. John White doesn't wear shoes. And everywhere in between. But the one thing all all true Christians have in common is the bedrock of our faith. And that is what Peter said. We believe that Jesus isn't just one of the men, but that Jesus is the man, the God man, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells us there's enough life changing, life transforming, life giving, life saving truth in that one statement to support the building of Christ's church. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this truth, on what you've just said, how you've answered that question, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The truth of the gospel, the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, means he's holy, he's perfect, he's 100% pure, and the only one who could make atonement for our sin. He's the only spotless lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, the only one for whom it could be said that it pleased the Lord to crush him, Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Because God the Father knows that Jesus the Son is the ultimate sacrifice who can pay for the sins of his people, and there's not a gate in hell that can keep out the life-saving, life-giving power of God through the gospel as it ransoms people from the pit of hell and gives them eternal life. Point number one, remember, nothing will stop Jesus from building his church. Nothing will stop Jesus from building his church. In verse 18, he says, I will build my church. The poor Fort Thomas campus, if they've been with me since we started the Newport campus, they've heard this portion of my sermon now at least three times. Because it's what we launched Newport with, it's what we launched our start at Fort Thomas with, and it's what we refocused on as we just opened our new facility in Fort Thomas. I will build my church. I think it's helpful to take that phrase, those five words, and emphasize each one individually. So I will build my church. 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 Because there's five important things that I want to call your attention to just in our first point. Jesus says, I will build my church. That means Jesus does the building. Jesus grows his church. He saves. He multiplies. No man, no group gets the credit, but Christ gets all the glory. Jesus says, I will build my church. But he also, he says, I will build my church. It's a done deal. There's no question. We don't wonder if he will, if he can. Will the church survive? These are uncertain times. They're very uncertain times, but the church has survived uncertain times for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The people of God have persevered through uncertain times for thousands of years. And when we say this is the worst it's ever been, that's only because it's the worst it's ever been in our life. But God's looking down on us like, take a number, bro. The church has persevered through difficult, difficult times worldwide since its inception. But Jesus says, I will build my church. Not I'll try, 
Not I'm going to give it my best shot. Not I will, but I can't if you don't and we don't have to. No, I will build my church. There's no question. There's certainty. But he says, I will build what? I will build my church. Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the elder's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's his bride. It's his church. He's building something that he has in mind for his people. Finally, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. It's a church he promises to build. A church family, not an organization, not a committee, not some lodge where people pay dues and meet and socialize. He builds a church, a living, breathing, moving force that you and I get to be a part of as believers because we're citizens of heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail against the saving power of Jesus Christ in and through his church. And if you were really paying attention, you noticed I skipped build. Raise your hand if you noticed I skipped build. Keep them up. Those are the smartest people in the church today. Just the rest of you got to catch up. I will build my church. I will build my church. The first five words of the Bible, when we read Genesis 1-1, it's in the beginning, God created, right? In the beginning, God created. Let there be light. Boom. There's light. Let the earth sprout vegetation, boom. Let there be lights in the heavens to separate the day and the night, boom. Let the waters swarm with creatures. Let birds fly above the earth, boom and boom. The boom's implied, it's not in the Hebrew. This is creating, right? Specifically, it's creating ex nihilio, meaning out of what? Nothing. God is creating things out of nothing because he can literally just speak and it becomes. It just, it it is. Let there be light. Boom. Well, how are you going to make it? What are you going to put together? Uh, I just said, let there be light and it appeared. I'm God. I'm kind of a big, I can do that. I'm God. Like that, that's his attitude towards it. Let the earth be filled with creatures. Let it sprout vegetation. Let there be a light to govern the day and to separate the day from the night. Just boom, 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 boom. This is not hard for me. I'm God. He's not, it's not a big deal. God speaks and boom. Question. Could Jesus have created his church ex nihilio, out of nothing? He could have. Let there be church. Thank you. Boom. (laughs) Could he have done that? Of course he could. Jesus doesn't say, I will create my church. He says, I will build my church. Sounds unbelievably inefficient. Like how many of you, if you had the opportunity to do something over a process of time or to do something instantly, you'd be like, no, I'd like to really stretch this out. Said no one ever. Let there be church. Boom. Let there be obedience in my children. Boom. Let there be money in my bank account. Boom. Let there be the car that is fixed. Boom. Like we would be, that, this is why we don't have the power to create. We'd be whipping it around for things that we don't, we really shouldn't have. That. I should not have this ability. I don't have this ability. You don't have this ability. Why doesn't Jesus say, let there be church? Let it be perfect. Let it be sinless. Let it be spotless. He doesn't. 
I will build my church. And the New Testament writers spoke with passion about the building of the church. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. This, of course, is Paul's corrective instruction to the church at Corinth as to how they're to correctly employ the spiritual gifts God has given them, specifically tongues and prophecy. We won't get into tongues and prophecy today. Instead, I'm bringing us here because I want you to see what's on Paul's heart for the church at Corinth. Why is he addressing him about these things? Uh, why, why, why does he address the church of Corinth about tongues and prophecy? What is really driving that? It's just because he really has a passion to see these specific things. It's kind of like everyone's got a hobby horse and he's just like, I really just got to, I'm just kind of twitching over the way you guys are doing this. Or is there something else that's driving it? I think there's something else that's driving it. Uh, pick it up in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Uh, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be what? Built up. In the span of five verses, Paul mentions building in some way, shape, or form no less than three times. Paul isn't talking about tongues and prophecy just for the sake of talking about tongues and prophecy. Hey, riddle me this. This would be fun. Let's talk about this. He's talking about it because he cares about building up the church. And there's a way they can employ these gifts that build up. And there's a way they can employ these gifts that actually tears down or does no good. And so you see in verse 2. Excuse me, verse 3, it says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to, build, speaks to people for their what? Upbuilding, their building up, their edification. Verse 4, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, make sure that if you're going to speak in tongues, you, someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is important to Paul. Skip down to verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that, that, that you are out of your minds? So the building of the church is what's driving Paul to talk about this in such detail. If you guys are whipping around these tongues like it's not a big deal, and some outsider comes in and sees you just like speaking in tongues, are they not going to say you're out of your mind? And the answer is yes. Because when I was a very new Christian, I was in that situation. And I looked at my mom and I said, they're out of their mind. Literally, we were standing there and there was a bunch of people. We were visiting different churches. I mean, we visited churches you shouldn't. You shouldn't darken the doors of it. What do we know? We're like, all right, we're going to leave the Catholic Church and go elsewhere. Well, there's a lot of elsewhere, especially in New York City. And so we go into a certain place, and all of a sudden, these people are start, blah, 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 blah. It's just these ecstatic utterances and stuff. It's not an actual language. It's not an actual tongue. But everybody's speaking at the exact same time. And literally, outsider, right, new believer, outsider, comes walking in. And it's like, we don't look around. And we're like, this is awesome. Let's stay here. We're like, run. Don't walk. Run to the car. Mom standing there with I mean, that's just, won't outsiders say you're out of your minds? The implied answer is what? Yes. The answer from experience, yes. This does not build up the church to do that. And so verse 23, there's a warning there. But that warning is not because it's messy and it's just weird. Don't do that. Be cool. It's not, that's not, you're, you're embarrassing God. It's not that. 
It will not build up the church. It will serve to divide the church. It will drive people away from the church. Don't be out of your minds. Look at verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church. Skip down to verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Again, that's his concern. Verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. The title of the sermon is The Church Building Project. But it's not like the building of the Florence campus. It's not like the building of the Independence or the Fort Thomas campuses. Because all of those building projects, what? Ended. They come to completion and then you function within it, maintain it, even improve it. But you don't continue building it. We don't continue building a building. We're not trying to be, like I've said before, like six flags over Jesus. We don't continue building and building and building. The building project comes to an end. The building project Paul is talking about ends when Jesus has called all to himself, whom he plans on calling to himself, when he's accomplished all he wants to accomplish in all of creation. And when that time comes, which only the Father knows, that's when the project is complete. Until then, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, let all things be done for building up. And here's the thing, which is our next point. Jesus' plan has always been to build his church through people like you and me. Again, highly inefficient. A lot of chance you're taking on a human level to say, I think I'm going to do this through fallen creation. I mean, I'll save them and they'll sin less, but they won't be sinless. But I want to let them build my church. Not just let there be church and it's perfect. But Jesus is like, no, I'm going to work through people. He gets all the more glory by working through, like Jesus saying, let there be church and the church appearing. That's cool. But we expect him to be able to do that, right? Not that we're not amazed by that, but we're expecting, but when God works through fallen, finite people like me, like you, to bring about his good among his people, wow, he gets a lot of glory for that. He will do it. There's no question. It's something he desires to do, not created in an instant, but built over time. It will be perfected, the church, when he comes back and takes us all away. Until then, he's building. And the plan has always been to build the church through people like you and me. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and pick it up in verse 11. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for what? Building up the body of Christ. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then Jesus goes to heaven and gives his people, all believers, the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence inside all of us and makes us useful for the building up of the church, the body of Christ. And you know what? If you really look at that verse, it's just a little more about you than it is about me. What I mean by that is Jesus' plan has always been to build his church through people like you and me, but especially people like you. I'm mentioned in verse 11, but you're mentioned in verse 12. Okay, so if you look at Ephesians 4 and verse 11, 
It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. All right, so I would be a shepherd teacher. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry happens among the rank and file of the church. And church leaders, elders, pastors, shepherds, teachers equip you to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. If the work of the ministry is all done through the pastors, shepherds, leaders, apostles, evangelists, it just gets bottlenecked. There's more of you than there are of me. I mean, I'd put up a good fight, but I'm pretty sure you could take me down. There's just more of you than there are of me. And some churches, what they do is as the church grows, they increase their leadership and increase their elder board. Why? Because we need more people to shepherd the flock. And so I was at a church one time when I saw they had pictures of the elders in the hallway. That's weird. Let's never do that. Let's just, let's just never do that at any of our campuses. But they had pictures of the elders in the hallway, all 30 of them. That's just pain. Like, do you know what it takes to come to a consensus among things, among nine people? 30 elders. But the reason they did that, in my opinion, was the church was growing and they needed more shepherds and they wanted people to be, to be shepherded. And so they just added elders and elders and elders and elders and elders and elders and elders. Do you think 30 people can shepherd all the people of God in their church? No. But instead of, and no harm, no foul, I'm not saying they're not a good church or they're not going to heaven. I'm just saying instead of equipping the people to do the work of the ministry, they decided to add it to their ranks of shepherd teachers. Do you you see what I'm saying? When verse 11 says the shepherd teachers should actually be equipping the people to do the work of the ministry. If I'm doing the work of the ministry, I'm actually not doing my job. My job, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 12, is to equip others to do it. And that's what builds up the body of Christ. It's not because I'm above it. It's not because I'm below it. It's not because it's it's just this is how it works. Equip people to do the work of the ministry. Shepherd, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, they equip people to do the work of the ministry so that the ministry doesn't stop with them, so that they're not a bottleneck. And so you have, I don't know, what, 70, 80, 90, 100 years during which you're on this earth, living and breathing with the Holy Spirit. And this is your time to do the work of the ministry. Right? We don't have like another life coming to us where we're like, oh, I'll get it better next time. It's funny, as when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? You notice everybody's talking about dead guys coming back. Has anybody noticed that they're actually saying we believe in reincarnation? I believe that it's Elijah coming back as Jesus. Well, that's, also, that's wrong and scary, bro. We got to talk later. You don't get a second pass at this life. Now, most of us, we look at our lives and there's so many things that we're looking forward to not having to deal with when we go to heaven. We're like, amen, I don't get a second pass of this life. Take me the heck out of here. And I get it. We want to be very, very excited for Jesus' return. We want to be very, very excited to be in glory with him. We just don't want to be so excited about heaven that we're useless on earth. We only have one life to live for the glory of God. And this is the only life that we have to do the work of the ministry. He's building it right now. Right now, he's building the church in your lifetime as you live, as you breathe, 
And if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church building project that will only end when the world ends. And so the question is this, what about you? How will you or do you contribute to the building of the church? How will you do the work of the ministry during your years on this earth before he calls you home? Because if there's anything we've seen throughout our life, but especially over the last, I don't know what, 18 months, is that people go home earlier than expected all the time. That's, not a, that's just a fact. That's not a scare tactic. Drive carefully, bro. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying we don't know how long our life is. If we just assume that we're going to get started on this, we're going to do a little more for Jesus, we're going to do a little more for the people of God, we're going to reach out to people a little later, when I reach this season of life, when the kids are here, when my parents are there, that may not be the wisest approach. You need to understand that Grace Fellowship Church is designed around the principle that we read about in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That the pastors, shepherds, teachers equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and the church is built. We're not a perfect church. We're a flawed, finite church led by well-intended, God-loving, but flawed and finite people. But we've chosen to decentralize almost everything. Like our primary care structure for our people isn't just like nine elders who are under the delusion that we can provide pastoral care for thousands of sheep. Our primary care structure is through community groups. It's decentralized. And so we're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. I lead a community group, but I don't lead 11 community groups because I'd want to poke my eyes out. I enjoy my community group. I just can't handle 11 community groups. Most of you can't handle 11 community groups. I only lead mine, and we equip others to do the work of the ministry with us. It's decentralized. That's why we have 60-some-odd community groups. But it's not just in community groups. I mean, Cindy Malott, Amber Jones, Chelsea Villanningham all have a passion for kids at their respective campuses. They care about keeping kids safe. Try that again. They care about keeping kids safe in children's ministry. That's never, that's never secondary. But they know that since we're a part of a church, it's not just random daycare. They know that the time they spend with little kids can be used by God to plant gospel seeds in their little hearts with which God can and will do great things in their lives. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? That he planted and Apollos watered, but what? But God gave the increase. But it's decentralized. We're not saying, okay, listen, Cindy at Florence, uh, Amber at Fort Thomas, and Chelsea at Independence, go minister to the kids. Just go... Go minister to the kids. It's decentralized. We equip others to do the important work of the ministry so we can reach more kids than Amber, Chelsea, and Cindy could handle on their own. They do a good job, not because they love to serve kids primarily, but because they can equip others to love and serve kids, equipping them to do the work in the ministry. Do you you see what I'm saying? It's this decentralization. It's about equipping people to do the work of the ministry that God calls them to do with their time that they have here on earth. And I just literally randomly picked two ministries, but the same could be said for any other ministry. It's not about the ministry leader so much as it is about decentralizing it so that whoever leads that ministry does so in a way that equips others to do the work of the ministry. But do you find it hard to believe that God would plan to use you in the ongoing process of building his church? Does that 
strike you as odd? I mean, you know you best. You saw you this week. I saw me this week. It strikes me as odd that God would use me to build his church, believe you me. Right? We all have fallen, sinful natures. None of us are who we want to be exactly. None of us are perfect at what we get to do. Even with the skills and talents and abilities God has given us, they're still, they still fall short. But that's exactly who God plans on using to build his church. That's exactly who God plans on using to reach people for the sake of the gospel. And if you find it hard to believe that God plans to use you in the ongoing process of building his church, we need to do our best to correct that. If you buy into the false notion that God will build his church through people that are probably on staff at a church, or through people, but certainly not you, and you list a reason in your mind because of, because of my past, because of my present, because of sins in my life, because I'm not smart enough, because I'm not cool enough, because I'm not outgoing enough, because of whatever, whatever because I'm not blank enough. If you buy into that false notion, the church won't get to the point where she's self-building. And that's our next point, point number three. God's word promises the church will actually self-build when all of the parts of the body of Christ are working together. I want you to see that in verse 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And look at this. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul's saying, okay, here's, here's how it works. God gave some to be pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists. And no, here's something else you have to realize. There's no one exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Do you, do you understand that? There's no one exhaustive list of roles of people within the Bible. Uh, there's some in Romans 12. There's some in 1 Corinthians 12. There's some in Ephesians 4. There's no one exhaustive list. So every time... That there's a, so, for example, you'll never find the gift of counseling in the Bible. But it doesn't mean if you're gifted in counseling, God hasn't gifted you to do that. Does that make sense? So there's never an exhaustive list. There's always a sampling. And so in Ephesians 4, we have this. Uh, God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, teachers. To do the work of, to equip, ah, I messed up. To equip others to do the work of the ministry. And as others do the work of the ministry, and as each part of the body is functioning together, verse 16 says, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. But that'll never happen if you can't see yourself as part of the church building project. And I think it's for people like you and like me. But if you say it's for people like you, not for people like me. It's actually not going to help our church. It's not going to help the broader church. It's not going to help the gospel spread. And if that's the case, I think it might be rooted in a failure to do at least one of the following three things that are in your outline. Uh, first of all, you need to see your ministry. First of all, you need to see yourself as in ministry. Actually, I didn't, there should be four things there. Here's one that's not there. You need to see yourself as in the ministry. I heard a pastor one time say, when I entered the ministry, I left the ministry, based on this verse. 
right? Because saying, when I, when I entered the ministry, I actually do less ministry. I do more equipping others to do the ministry. And that's really just a nuanced way of saying his ministry changed. I get it. But you need to see yourself and every single person who's serving in any single way, whether they're serving in the parking lot or in the pulpit, as people who are in ministry. There's no like, this is the spiritual thing and this is just the things, right? It's super spiritual to lead a community group, but for people who are making coffee, it's just making coffee. I mean, anybody can do that. You need to see every part of our church as an important aspect of Christ-centered ministry that God uses to build up his church. There's not just the ministry and then there's the other things. So the first thing, maybe now the second thing, letter A in your outline, you need to see your ministry as it truly is, which is connected to someone other than you. Look at verse 15 again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Friends, listen to me. You need to see every single part of our church family functioning in a way that has to do with assimilation and discipleship. Every single part that is, that is doing its job within our church family is a step, makes an impression. God uses it for a moment or God uses it for several moments. But every single step within our church body is used by God for the purposes of building his church, for glorifying himself, for edifying and building up the body of Christ. And if you see some as essential but some as non-essential or you see as some as spiritual things and others as just the things, that's not going to help the body of Christ function together in such a way that every part is doing its work so that everyone may grow up to be more like Christ. And so you need to see your ministry as ministry and as it truly is connected to someone other than you, connected to the head. If we are the body of Christ, which the Lord says we are, our head is who? Jesus. And so everything, just like every part of your body flows kind of out of your head, every part of the body of Christ flows out of our head, which is Jesus Christ. And we do the work of the ministry to whatever extent we do it in. But make sure you understand it's ministry. That holding open the door is ministry and teaching children's ministry is ministry and leading a community group is ministry and making the coffee is ministry and biblical counseling is ministry. And you got to fight the, 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 the temptation to be like, yeah, but some of that ministry is like a capital M. Am I right? It's all ministry. And if you don't see it all as ministry, you will peter out. I don't like that expression. <laughs> but if you don't see it all as ministry, it's not going to get you up in the morning and say, I just got to do the things. Do you remember the time to make the donuts? Was that a nationwide ad campaign? Okay, I didn't know. There's like a Dunkin' Donuts in every corner in New York City. So I don't even know, like, is that a Northeast thing? Time to make the donuts. You don't want to get out of bed doing the work of the minute. Time to do the things. Time to hold the door. We've got time to hand out the bulletin. Time to host the community group. Like, that guy doesn't inspire us to do anything. Does he? Maybe some of you are like, I, actually, he's my hero. <laughs> but he doesn't inspire us to do anything. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just Google it later. Look it up on YouTube. Time to make the donuts. We don't just get up at, what are you going to do? Like, I didn't get up this uh, time to preach the sermon. I might be tired when I get up. I am tired when I get up. But I realize what I'm doing 
is connected to a larger person. It's not just me, and it's not just us. It's connected to Jesus Christ. It's intended to grow us to be more like Jesus Christ. You need to see your ministry, whatever it is, as ministry, but as connected to someone other than you. Next, you need to see your ministry as it truly is, connected to something bigger than you. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped, you need to understand that you should appreciate every part of your physical body, that it's all connected for some reason. And did you ever notice sometimes it's the smallest injuries that can offer the most pain? Don't you wish paper cuts were eradicated from life? Like if I would say, what would you rather do, stub your toe or get a paper cut? I'd have to think a minute. Not an easy answer. Sometimes it's the smallest, most seemingly insignificant injuries that really, I don't want to say debilitate us, but really hurt. Because each part of our body really matters. It would be very hard for you to lose a toe. You wouldn't just be like, ah, I got 90% of my toes. I mean, who among us, right? It would be very hard if you didn't have, if you were missing a toe. Every single part of the body matters. God has been purposeful in creating, in designing us with every single part that matters for a certain reason. It's the same thing for church. It's the same thing for the body of Christ. Every single part is joined and knit and held together. Such as that if one person is not going to be participating, that that part of the body atrophies, but it affects the rest of the body. It affects the rest of the body. It's why when somebody has a really bad cough, they don't just go around functioning well and just say, it's fine, it's just a cough. I mean, it's in here in my chest, but every other part is fine. It's not, that's not true. When someone has a stomach bug, they're like, it's fine, it's just in my stomach. It's fine, I'll just vomit every 12 minutes, but I can do other things. I have plenty of mouthwash, it's not a big deal. You don't do that. The whole body is joined and held together. And that's not just Peter's metaphor. That's what I see in Scripture. That's not me creating a word picture. That's God creating a word picture when he said, you are the body of Christ. Verse 16, from from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. You need to see your ministry as it truly is, connected to something bigger than you. Someone other than you, and then something bigger than you. And see yourself as a necessary functioning part of the body of Christ. Christ, because God intends to build his church through people like you and like me. And finally, you need to see your ministry as it truly is, connected to a purpose God has for you. Verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's the purpose. The purpose is that the church would build, that the church would self-build, meaning we would be working with each other with the Holy Spirit to build up the church. And God's like, yes, I give you the Holy Spirit to do that. You can build up yourself in love when every person is doing whatever God has called them to do. And that might change over time. But when every person says, I'm a necessary part of this body of Christ, I need to function, I need to be a healthy body part of the body of Christ. And then you don't have to turn there, but in your outline I put 1 Corinthians 12, uh, beginning in verse 4 says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the what? The same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So let's just stop there. Do you see the point that he's making? There's a variety of gifts that people have, but it's the same Spirit. There's a variety of ways to, to be in ministry. There's a variety of ways to function. And sometimes those, ways function, those functions change over time. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so I love here that Paul is making the, 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 the playing field just level. Saying there's a variety of ways to serve, but it all comes from what? The same God. There's a variety of ways in which to be in ministry at your church. Some people are full-time, some people are part-time, some people are vocational, some people are voluntary, but it's the same Lord. It's the same spirit. It's the same reason. It's the same gospel. It's just a variety of ways of serving. Because I love how he dispels the myth that what happens on this stage is the most important thing and everything else just kind of peters out from there. Or what happens in a community group is the most important thing, but nothing else matters. What happening, what's happening across a counseling table as we do biblical counseling is super, super spiritual. And if you make coffee, that's kind of nice too. You won't find that in the Bible. There's a variety of service, a variety of ways to serve within the body, but the same Lord. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so you need to understand that as people function within the body of Christ, they're all doing so by the same spirit, regardless of what they're doing. Examples. You might love hospitality. You might love having people in your home, love thinking through how to make them comfortable and and welcome and at peace. You might be really good at that. I think anybody can do that, but some people, you know how some people really excel at that and some people just do it, but some people, this is like their thing. They look forward to doing that. Uh, You might want to do that consistently by hosting a weekly community group. David Michael can help you do that. You might want to do that daily by hosting a student from a foreign country. Dave Werns can help you do that. You realize that we have students from foreign countries who come here to go to school. They come from countries where Christ isn't named. And instead of that student living in a dorm, they can rub shoulders with a Christian or a Christian family and be impacted by you and perhaps take that impact home with them to friends and family members who in all likelihood will never rub shoulders with a Christian and probably go to hell. And you're not going to go to that country because you don't want to go to that country or you don't feel God has called you to that country. And he maybe hasn't called you to that country, but you can maybe offer up your home because you're like, I actually want to be hospitable on a daily basis. That's not for everybody, but it might be for you. You might love hospitality, but not be able or desirous to open your home in these ways. But you'd like to make people feel welcome at one of our campuses. That's great. You should consider joining our welcome team. But connected to something greater than just holding a door or answering a question. But know you'll be one of the first people a guest interacts with and will be an important part of whether or not they assimilate into the Grace Fellowship Church family or not because you only get one chance to make a first impression. You might say, you just intimidated me off of the welcome team. I'm, wow. That's, I get one chance to make a first impression. You might say, I'm hospitable, and I'd rather be doing something a little bit more behind the scenes. I kind of tense up around strangers. I'd rather not vomit. That's great. Help us make coffee. Do you know our coffee ministry is one of the most important ministries in our church? <laughs> You're like, amen. <laughs> it's one of the most important ministries in our church. 
you ever notice one of the first things you do when somebody enters your home, at least in our home, we say, hi, welcome, they come in, and we say, would you like something too? Yep. We don't have a coffee ministry because, like, we just need to have the coffee. We joke around and say, like, we need to have the coffee. But believe you me, I mean, at the Fort Thomas campus, we went a long long time without coffee. People actually bring their own coffee. They're addicted enough to make sure it happens. (laughs) But we like to be able to say, welcome to our church. Can I get you a... It's a way of being hospitable. It's not because this is the only way people can get coffee. You can get better coffee. That's a... Never mind. I apologize to the... I just... I apologize to coffee ministry at all three campuses. It's lovely coffee. It's lovely coffee. I'm going to back out of this and go right back to the notes. Do you know what I see as a pastor in a church setting? Earlier in, earlier in August, in fact, three weeks ago yesterday was 20 years since I first became a pastor. Over 20 years, do you know what I've seen? I see guests new to our church family at whatever campus sometimes grab a cup of coffee but not even drink it. There's just something about it gives them something to do with their hands. Do you realize starting and trying to attend, starting to attend a new church is one of the most intimidating, stressful things? People put it up there with moving or getting a new job. You say, I don't know why I feel kind of comfortable here. It's because you feel kind of comfortable here. Do you know what it's like walking into a new place, not knowing what's going on behind those doors, not knowing? And so people, literally, you need to understand that people will get a cup of coffee just because it's the comfortable thing to do. Whether or not they consume it or not is actually secondary. The coffee ministry is actually a pretty vital ministry within our church. It's not just about coffee. Do you know how important the auditorium team is? Ensuring the room functions well, help people find a seat so they don't have to awkwardly look down rows of strange faces they don't know. You know what it's like being new to a church and maybe walking in either on your own or with a friend or with a spouse or with your kids and you're kind of walking down and looking down the rows and everybody's singing and they're kind of looking like, who's that? And the, they, they just mean, who's that? But they have a face on of like, get away. And then, you know, that's really awkward. And so maybe you're hospitable but you're like, you know what, I'm hospitable. I'd like to be using kind of a logistical way. I can come down here. I look down the row. I see four seats. I see three people. That'll fit them. I call them down. And you save them from that awkward little, like, weird interaction that can take place between them and somebody else. You say, that's not spiritual. The heck it isn't. Each step, each connected to the body of Christ. You say, well, I just want them to join a community group. Yeah, like they'll super join a community group when they've looked down the road and everyone's like, Ugh. like, you know what? I think I want to actually go to these people's homes. <laughs> it doesn't happen, but it's all connected. You see how it's all connected? It's not about first impressions. It's not about marketing. It's about making people feel at home within the body of Christ as the Lord brings them to us. And every single one of them plays a role. Somebody happy to receive a child and hold that child in the nursery ministry plays a role as to whether or not that person feels welcome. One of the first things I do when people visit us at the Fort Thomas campus, if they have kids, I greet kids first every time. I get down on one knee and I give them a fist bump. You get down on one knee, 
because sometimes you stand up here and you're like, hello there, young man. Do you notice, picture someone three times your size saying, hello there, young man. No, you would do this too. So I get down on one knee, I'm like, hey, what's up? Fist bump. Watch the kid hopefully laugh, hopefully smile. Sometimes get shy, but you know what? I'm a parent, and if you've made my kid smile, you will make me smile. And when you're brand new to a church and you're brand new to interacting with people, that's actually sometimes the easiest way to start a conversation with somebody. Oh, wow, he's adorable. How are you? Boom. And they're in the church for life. No, it's a step. It's a step. It's a step. All of it connects, and all of it is ministry. Because maybe I'm holding a door, but I'm trying to reach people. It's all ministry. The AV ministry isn't for button pushers. It's not. It's for people who want to be used as an extension of the worship team and extension of the preaching team. It's like Romans 10 could have been, you know, how will they hear if nobody's sent? And how will they preach if nobody's sent? And how will they hear if nobody's mic'd? They're an extension of the worship team and the preaching team. They literally work to ensure that the message of the gospel is heard and is sung. That's what happens in the booth at your campus. It's not a place for introverted button pushers, but a place for people who can connect that ministry to something greater than themselves by seeing the connection to the head of the body, Jesus, and the rest of the body. That's the church so that we can build itself up in love. I've been part of the church long enough to know introverted button button pushers don't last. That doesn't get time to push the buttons. That doesn't get people out of bed in the morning. That's not a reason to serve. That's not inspiring. That's not life-giving. That's not motivating. But saying, I'm connected to a larger purpose. I'm an extension of the word that is preached and the songs that are sung. I have a job to do and I'm part of the ministry. Friends, I get pumped talking about this stuff. And I'm not talking about it because our ministry teams need you. So I want you to make sure you understand. This isn't like the desperate sermon. None of the campus pastors came up and said, please preach on such and such because we're dying over here. We're dying on the vine. None of our campus pastors said that. It's not the case at all. But friends, believe me, you want a piece of this action. You want to be part of this. You're missing out if you're not actively working together to build up the church. When you see a student find community in the student ministry and invite a friend and see the Lord work in a middle or high school student's life, that is so life-giving. When you get down on one knee and get to fist bump that little kid and see a mom smile or a dad smile, and that kid smiles, and then the mom and dad smiles because you befriended their kid, and so you befriended them, God has used you to remove just a single little anxiety from their hearts that comes with trying a new church. And that's our final point. Point number four, you need to decide if Jesus will work through you or work around you in order to build his church. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And no one's inspired by desperation. Number one, we're not desperate. Number two, it's like a pretty crummy motivator. We got to do this. We need your help. Everyone's like, there's a reason nobody's doing it. Goodbye. God's going to do it. Jesus is going to do it. He's not up there wringing his hands, pacing, oh, what am I going to do if Roger doesn't? How will I? I don't know how to work. I don't know how to do this. He's so not worried. He's going to do it. He's not missing out. You are missing out. You want to be connected to this. Trust me, you do. In some way, shape, or form, you want to be connected to what God is doing through his church. The question is, will Jesus be working through you or around you as he builds up his church? Well, got to step over, Tom. He's busy sitting. Okay. 
Will he work through you or will he work around you? He's going to work. He's going to build his church. You can't, gates of hell can't stop him. You surely can't, right? He's going to build his church. And so I would encourage you to look at verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 14. It's in your outline. It says, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then there's a little sentence there for you to complete on your own. Consider this. If I were to, quote, strive to excel in, you fill in the blank, it would build up the church. That answer is going to be different for everyone. There's things I can strive to excel in and will just fall flat on my face. I have no business excelling them. It's like, kind of let someone else excel in that, bro. That's not, not your thing. But what about you? What would you strive to excel in in order to build up the church? How would you finish that sentence? How has God gifted you? Or what desire has he put on your heart for an area in which you would like to grow in so that you could build up the church for the glory of God? If I were to strive to excel in blank, I would be used by God to build up the church. It would build up the church for the glory of God and the good of his people. I hope and pray that you will consider that and think, what role do I have to play? How, what part of the body of Christ am I so that I can function for his glory and the good of his people that the church might build itself up in love? Let's work together to build up the church. God, thank you for saving us and thank you for giving us your spirit to call us out of darkness and into your light and to cause us to be able to even see that we would need a savior. All of that comes from you and we count as no small thing. And now to be used by you to build up your church, to strengthen your church, what an honor and a blessing. How intimidating yet exciting, how humbling. It's, it's just a mixed bag. Would you work within your people to show them how should they strive to excel in order building up your church. Based on who they are, how you've wired them, what role might they play in the building up of your church? We know you'll do it. And we're grateful that the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But Lord, show us how you would want to use each and every one of us towards that end for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.